to John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. I know the bulletin says 24, but really uh, these verses are what we want to focus on. It's about Jesus walking on water. Now, when you think of the story about Jesus walking on water, what comes to mind? That's the main thing you think about. Is it perhaps Peter seeing Jesus getting out of the boat and Peter walking on water? It it was for me. But John doesn't mention Peter. Interesting question. Why doesn't John mention Peter? It is not because of rivalry. It is not that he's leaving Peter out because somehow he wants to diminish Peter. In fact, John acknowledges that there's so many things Jesus said and did uh, that he leaves out. At the end of chapter 20, uh, we read, John did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is the purpose statement for this book. And he leaves a lot out because he knows... It's too much. He has to choose. But then he, and that sounds like the end of, of his gospel, doesn't it? What a great conclusion. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. But he goes on and says, but I have to include this. And he goes on into chapter 21, and who does he talk about? He talks about Peter. When Jesus from the shore appears to his disciples again, and they don't recognize him yet, it's too, too far away, Jesus says, cast your net off the other side, and they haul in this fish. John says to Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter jumps out of the boat in his zeal. He gets to Jesus, and Jesus says, yeah, bring some of the fish he caught. Peter runs back to the boat, and he hauls in the net. You get this sense of eagerness and excitement because Peter was embarrassed. He was ashamed. He had denied Christ. And John goes on to show how Jesus reinstated Peter. See, John's not trying to diminish Peter by not mentioning Peter. Why does he leave Peter out? Well, let's read our passage and we'll uh, go into that. Uh, Please rise for the reading of God's word if you're able. John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, for they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. Now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Heavenly Father, fill us with wonder and amazement and awe and worship at who Jesus is and what he did. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I do not think in all my years preaching in this church that I've ever specifically pointed out a bill that is before our state uh, house or senate. But I'm going to this morning. There's a state senate bill uh, 868 that is identical with the house bill 1663, which 
is a, a, a bill that uh, adds causes uh, on the issue of discrimination. It outlaws discrimination in places of, a pub, of public accommodation on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. Here's the thing about the bill. It does not protect uh, places of worship, not just Christ, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, whatever. Uh, we are all places of public accommodation. And the effect of the bill, were it passed, would be to give cause for action. That means we could be sued in our hiring practices for weddings we would conduct if we practiced what we believe the Bible to teach about you know, traditional marriage, about uh, what is right conduct. Now, we are for, we are for non-discrimination in the public place. We ought to do, do unto others as we would have you know, them do unto us. We're for fairness. But this would prohibit places of worship from acting in ways that are consistent with their faith. I've long thought, as our culture drifts from a Christian heritage and adopts a different point of view, that we may eventually use, uh, lose a tax exemption for donations to the church. You know, I've always thought that that's a, a possibility and it's not the main cause of the church to protect our uh, tax exemption for donations. We don't give for that reason. We just give anyway. But I never thought about the possibility so rapidly approving something that would give a legal cause for churches to be sued and driven to bankruptcy, really, just shutting them down. And that's a possibility now. Have I got your attention? Are you alarmed? Don't be. Don't be alarmed by this. Here's the thing. We come to worship a Savior who literally walks on water. Do you get that? Do you see the impact of that? He is the sovereign Lord. He is the creator of the universe. He's the one who's, who's in control of all these things. God may in his will allow uh, our culture to so drift from us that they would become opposed to us. Should that matter to our faith? Not at all. In fact, my understanding is that when China closed off to the West many decades ago, there were four million Christians in China. And when they opened back up and people could go back in and see, it was estimated there were 40 million Christians. The, the persecution of the church only provided the fodder for those to stand for their faith in such a way that others noticed and were drawn to Christ himself. So we don't gather trembling before the powers of state, although we are responsible. I, I encourage you, call your legislators, do the stuff that is, is right to do as responsible citizens, not just for our sake, but for faiths that we disagree with. This is a matter of the separation of church and state. Our government should not pass any laws that prohibit the establishment, or that establish religion or prohibit the free exercise thereof. So as citizens, you have reason to call, but we should not live in fear. Because we worship a Savior who walks on water. 
literally. Have you ever noticed how many times people use that word literally in the wrong way? They, they, they use a big metaphor, you know, and they say, he, he's literally, just meaning emphatically. Jesus literally walked on water. And John records this event in the briefest possible way. Luke doesn't record this event, but Matthew and Mark do. It is in Matthew that we read about uh, Jesus uh, coming by the boat and the, the disciples seeing him and they're afraid. They think it's a ghost. And uh, you know, Matthew goes on to talk about Peter you know, saying, if it is you, which really, since it is you, it's not an expression of doubt with the Greek word chosen. Lord, since it's you, you know, call me out and I, I'll come to you. And Jesus called him and Peter walked on water until... He looked around at the winds and waves and he got, got afraid and he began to sink. And he said, Lord, save me. And Jesus lifted him up and they got back in the boat. And immediately the seas calmed. Mark doesn't tell us about Peter getting out of the boat, but it does tell us about the winds and the waves. And when Jesus gets in the boat, the seas are calmed. A number of years ago, when we were on sabbatical and visiting around in other churches, we visited West End Presbyterian Church and their children's ministry pastor did a children's sermon. And he did it with the sound effects of Jesus calming the winds and the waves. And he brought the children up forward and had the congregation support them, saying, this section over here, you're the wind. Go, the section was doing that and then over here you're the waves you go roar roar and I can't remember all the ways he did it but I, in my imagination it's feedback in that he said and you're the lightning you say crack crack and after they say crack you go and be the and the rubber and he got everybody going the kids were just loving it and they said stop And the quiet was more powerful than all the noise. When Jesus not only walked on water, but showed his sovereign power over creation, when he got in the boat and everything stopped, what was he showing? What was he demonstrating about himself? John Let's the actions of Jesus speak for themselves. He doesn't focus on Peter walking on water, although we like to, and it's perfectly legitimate to. It is in the Gospel of Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that we can know the devotional lesson that when we are looking at Jesus, we're lifted above our circumstances. When we focus on the storms of our circumstances, we begin to sink. And we look back to Jesus and we're lifted up again. Absolutely appropriate, absolutely perfect, inspired application of the scriptures in Matthew. In Mark, it says that when Jesus got into the boat, the disciples were completely amazed because they had not understood about the loaves and fishes. Their hearts were hardened. Evidently, the disciples 
might have been mystified by the miracle of the loaves and fishes and gone down the road that some modern commentaries uh, go down that are more liberal, where they say, yeah, we know that miracles don't happen. So what really happened when Jesus fed the 5,000? Well, this, this little boy shared his five loaves and two fishes, and Jesus blessed them and broke them and began to distribute them. And others who had also brought their lunches out there in the desert were inspired by this child sharing And so they pulled out their lunches and they started sharing with each other. And they had 12 basketfuls left over. Inspiring, isn't it? Maybe the disciples were mystified with, where's all this food coming from? Mark tells us they hadn't understood yet that it was the very word of the one who created the heavens and the earth that created the loaves and the fishes in the first place, that spoke the word and his blessing and did the miracle. But when they saw him walking on water, they could not deny it. When they saw the winds and the waves stilled, they could not deny it. They were utterly and completely amazed. Matthew goes on to say, when Peter and Jesus get back into in the boat, they say, Surely you are the Son of God. You see, those are the the responses we should have. John doesn't focus on the disciples at all. How often do we come to church and we think the whole point of the worship and the sermon is a focus on us, how we can do better this week? Give me application. Well, the first application is that you should be amazed at who Jesus is. And what he can do. It's that change of heart. It's that spiritual awakening. When you realize that. That makes the difference when you leave this place. To love him and live for him. During the week. Without that heart change. A few how to's don't make much difference. When was the last time. You were just amazed. At who Jesus is. And what he did. We know the whole thing of what he did all the way through the cross and the resurrection. When was the last time you were just filled with awe and wonder at that? Now here's part of the the deal that might be confusing. We so often associate being amazed and filled with awe and wonder with surprise. We're surprised. It's new to us. It's a new thought to us. And we think we have to have that element of surprise to be filled with awe and wonder and amazement. Because after the surprise wears off, we begin to take it for granted. Well, the fact is, if you've known, uh, maybe you're a child growing up in the church, you've always heard these things, you've accepted and believed them to be true. It's never been like, I didn't know that before. Perhaps you've been a Christian for 10, 20, 30, 40 years you're not going to recapture that element of surprise because it's not a surprise. You've known it for a long time. But I ask you, have you grown heart of heart where you're no longer amazed and filled with awe and wonder? We have a Savior who just in this one miracle, this one instance, we have a Savior who literally walks on water. Let that sink in. John doesn't focus on the disciples' response. He just focuses on Jesus. 
It's a little bit like the Rorschach, uh, if I'm pronouncing that right, that ink block, te- block test. When you hold Jesus up, and this is what he did, he walked on water, your response tells more about you than it says about Jesus. Because if you look and go, I know. You may be a Christian, and you're just going to so used to it, you're focused on the winds and waves like Peter did, and you're beginning to sink. You may not be a Christian because you've never really believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, as John said was the purpose of his writing this. And you don't have life in his name because you don't believe that he's the Christ, the Son of God. It hasn't touched you yet. Your eyes haven't been opened. Your heart hasn't been enlarged to want to receive him as Savior and Lord. Well, let's walk through this chapter and uh, this passage and see what John does say about this. In John chapter 6, getting back to that. It says, When the evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. Now, at this point, we might think, well, wait a minute, why'd they do that? In the previous two verses, it says that... Uh, the, at the end of the feeding of the 5,000, it says the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did. They began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. We think that's a positive, don't we? The crowd is attracted to Jesus because he fed the 5,000, but Jesus knows what's in their heart. They're not believing in him for who he really is and what he came to do. They're thinking in terms of an earthly king, and if he can feed the 5,000, boy, he can surely free them from Rome and take care of the nation. The next verse says, Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And then when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake. Matthew and Mark make clear that Jesus made them uh, go across the sea. He left a command and instruction to them as he withdrew from the crowds. We can almost uh, see with, with that clue that by Jesus withdrawing from the crowds, his disciple, the, the multitude wasn't attracted to the disciples. It took the pressure off of them. And he said, I'm going to go back uh, to the solitary place. I'm going to pray. You go on ahead of me across the lake. That was his command. So they were doing this in obedience, not because they didn't know what to do. They just figured they were going to go. John doesn't even focus on why they did what they did because his focus is not on them when we come to worship let this morning our focus be on christ himself and then just test your heart see what your response is but now it was dark and jesus had not yet joined them a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough so this is nighttime the storm blows up evidently in the sea of galilee because of the configuration of the mountains these winds could come down suddenly the fishermen knew that the the sea of galilee though it wasn't huge it was it was miles it was you know eight and a half by 11 or 13 miles something like that in in its dimensions so it was you know a long ways to go it wasn't a little pond but they knew that these storms could happen, and it was in the night. So they were struggling. And John doesn't develop it any more than just saying that that was happening. Matthew and Mark developed the winds and waves more. It says, when they had rowed three or three and a half miles, the other gospels say when they're out in the middle of the lake, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water, and they were terrified. 
If I remember the Gospels correctly, it was Mark that said Jesus was walking by them. He wasn't intending to stop. He had just sent them on ahead and he was going to be there to greet them. There's some mystery in his human nature and divine nature about his intent. But they saw him. They thought it was a ghost and he wasn't going to leave them afraid. He said, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. In, in that little place is where all this happens with Peter. Where he gets out of the boat, walks on water, comes to Jesus. But John doesn't focus on the disciples. He's focused on Jesus himself. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Oh, this word immediately. It has given rise to a whole bunch of other liberal commentators that would try to deny this miracle. Say, well, see, here's what happened. The winds behind the boat, they thought they were in the middle of a lake, but it had already driven them pretty much all the way across the shore. Jesus came around the edge without thinking about it. He would have really had to be a sprinter to get there. Going around the edge. And he was walking along the edge of the water. And somehow you know how mirages can happen. That there was a mirage and he was still in the water. Well, wait, stop and think about that one. Mirages happen during the daytime. Mirages happen when you're driving down one of those straight Florida roads. And the sun is out and the sky reflects on the roads ahead. It looks like water, but when you get there, it's not wet. That's a mirage. Mirages don't happen at night. So, well, it wasn't a mirage. He, he was just on the shore And it was dark, they couldn't see, and they assumed they were still in the middle of the lake. So Jesus was walking along the edge of the the water. Peter getting out of the boat and sinking himself makes clear that this was not the explanation. Why is it that people press so hard? It's because they, like the disciples described in Mark, are hard of heart. And they just don't want to believe who Jesus is. And they don't want to recognize his astounding, miraculous power that proves his claims are true. They don't want to, so they come up with a rationalization that doesn't fit the story itself. If this had been the way it had happened, that they were already at the other shore and they realized that, oh, Jesus wasn't walking on the water, he was walking around the shore. Why would the other Gospels have talked about how amazed they were? Why would the other Gospels have talked about Peter sinking in the water and then when they get in, the winds and waves are gone? So what does this word immediately mean? I think a a great way to to, uh, translate this would be, and with no further ado, the boat reached the shore where they were heading. That's all, uh, it all encompasses the miracle of the winds and the waves stopping. You know, we use the word immediately that way too. Immediately doesn't mean the next second. If you say, he got, he got a letter, he, he, he accepted the job, and immediately he moved to Houston. Well, we know what immediately means. It's with no further ado, that was, that's what he said about doing. What this means is, when Jesus got into the boat, there are no more winds and waves. There are no more obstacles. It's just directly, straight away, as, a, as another literal way of translating this Greek word, straight away, they went to the shore. And that's how it fits with the other Gospels. John leaves, leaves out the reason the disciples went across the lake. He leaves out Peter walking across uh, the water himself. He even leaves out the response of the disciples that they're filled with joy and amazement. He just says, this is what Jesus did. 
And it should have the impact on you that it had on the disciples swelled out in the other Gospels. How do you respond? I've heard it before. You didn't tell me anything to do this week that's different. I'm kind of at a loss. This is just all that religious stuff. Are you that hard of heart? Or are you just thrilled that we serve a Savior who walks on water? And that's not all he did. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. All of those things were not the point of his coming. They were signs that he was truly who he claimed to be. He is God the Son. Now here's the thing. Other prophets did miracles. God gave Moses miraculous signs to perform in Pharaoh's court to prove that Moses was sent by God. But Moses didn't claim to be God. He was the humble servant, the prophet. And he had those miraculous signs to prove God had sent him. Elijah and Elisha did miraculous things. They were prophets, but they never claimed to be God. And because they didn't claim to be God, the miraculous signs and wonders only proved that their word was the word of God. The apostles, after Jesus died and rose again and went into heaven, he sent them out. They did miraculous signs and wonders. That, they didn't claim to be God. They proved that their message about Jesus was from God. But Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be God so clearly that the Pharisees recognized it. When Jesus said, my father loves me and shows me everything he does. I only do the things my father does. He is claiming a relationship with the father that they recognize as unique. He's not saying our father, we humble creatures. He's saying my father, he's saying my, the, the father and I are one. He said to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. His claim was to do things that only God had a right to do. So when Jesus walked on water, when he did his miracles, those were signs that his claims were valid about himself. Any lunatic can claim to be a Messiah. Many have. Any lunatic can claim to be God. Many have. But only Jesus demonstrated his power over all creation by his miracles. He proved his claims are true. And does that strike you with the wonder and the awe that it ought to? It may not be surprising. You may have known it for many years. But let it fill you with wonder and awe so that you leave this place and you hear about things that are going on out in the world. There are winds and waves. There is the application of the Matthew passage that we can look at what the, the states may do. And what if in you know, 10 years this church was bankrupted and so were other churches that didn't kowtow to uh, a, a secular morality that was inconsistent with the Bible? Does that stop Christ from building his, his church? No, it does not. It gives us opportunity to show we are his. Look to him, not to the winds and waves. Oh, and that's just out there in our state capital. I know that in our congregation, in the circumstances in our lives, in our families, in the relationships, in our jobs, in our health, our illnesses, we have more winds and waves that are closer to home than the ones that are downtown, don't we? Do you look at those 
and begin to sink. The point is to look at Christ. And John just holds him up. He doesn't say how you should respond. I'm asking you, do you respond with love, amazement, worship and awe, and declare, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the purpose for John writing, that you may believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this. We praise you you for recording in your word that Jesus did these things. Father, let us not just look with amazement at the miracle, but look through the evidence of the miracle at the claim of Jesus, that God the Son, who existed from all eternity, became one of us. He demonstrated his power over nature so that we could sing and worship him, singing, Fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature, son of God and son of man, thee would I cherish. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.